0: So welcome to the second episode of the Bluish podcast. Thank you for listening. Today we're going to be talking about for the most part the climate movement, the strike that was on September 20th. But we're also going to be talking about metal detectors. If you are unaware, the New York City public school system is pretty much garbage and certain schools have daily scans And my school happened to get picked at random for a scan. My school is 56% white, 4% black, and I can't remember the other percentages, but it's majority white, clearly. And a lot of students were upset. I understand why you'd be upset, but they were upset for the wrong reasons. So we're going to talk about those reasons. We're going to talk about the climate movement as well, because there are some kind of intersections between what I find wrong about both of those things. And so I figured that this episode would be the perfect chance to kind of, you know, bring both of those things up without it seeming like it makes no sense. So without further ado, we're going to start off with the metal detector conversation. right so metal detectors why do i have a problem with them why were they at my school let's 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 backtrack to the morning of september 18th 2019 so that morning i was walking down the sidewalk on my way to school and i noticed that there was a long line of kids a lot of them were middle schoolers the middle school at my school starts earlier than the high school does so i didn't understand why they were all outside as I got closer, I saw a bunch of police officers, and I saw that there were these little barriers, this little line that was keeping students in line. And it kind of clicked for me that a few weeks ago, we got a little notice saying that sometimes our school is going to have random metal detector scans. And so I realized, okay, I guess today is one of those days. So... I'm waiting in line and you know, people are stressed, people are confused. I go through, they tell me they're not they're not nice at all, by the way. Um, and they tell me to take my I have a little kind of over the shoulder cross body bag thing and this woman, um, this police officer was like, Take that off and I'm like, Okay, dude we're nowhere near the scanner, clearly I'm going to remove it from my body so that it can go through the scanner and I can go through the body scanner. I'm not stupid. I know how this works. So that, that was already annoying and unpleasant. I made it through. For some reason, they scanned my bag twice. I don't know why, but they scanned my bag twice. I was fine. Some people got stopped, blah, blah, blah. That's how scans work. And then I went to class. Um, without eating breakfast by the way, because I was like, okay cool, I'll get breakfast in the cafeteria, but the metal detectors were, you know, of course placed in the cafeteria as if students don't need to eat food. So that's great. Um so you know, then the question becomes why do I have such an issue with metal detectors? specifically in New York City public schools, well, there's plenty of research and data to show that schools with a high population of students of color, schools in low-income communities, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, are basically target communities for metal detectors. Um, and there are also statistics and data to show that kids in those schools end up in the system far more often than kids who aren't being scanned. There is a lot of you know stuff that connects being treated like a criminal and then actually becoming one. Um it's not it's it's not just like a coincidence, you know? And so Yeah, I do have a problem with poor black and brown kids being treated like criminals because they're poor black and brown kids, not because they did anything wrong. Um, And I ended up having a whole debate about this in class. Well, not necessarily a debate because I know my shit. I know what I'm talking about. It's kind of hard to debate when I'm literally just saying, here's the data. And like not really stating an opinion, well, we talked about it in one of my classes, and of course, I was the only person to bring up the fact that the metal detectors are about race and when i and after I brought up that fact, a certain student who will clearly remain anonymous because I'm not really trying to blow up anyone's spot right now, um but a certain student said. So you mean to tell me that you don't think this has anything to do with gun control? No, this does not have anything to do with gun control, and I'll tell you why. Number one, the school, the district, the area has absolutely no history of, you know, that kind of issue. If they did, that would make sense. Number two, the debate about gun control, um, really got fired up, I don't know, what was it, April of 2018, so, you know, at more than a year ago, they, they, they didn't decide, you know, you will just wait like a year and a half and then we'll make a change, no, no, that's not how that works. Number three, I work with an organization called Teens Take Charge, which is a wonderful organization that deals with desegregating New York City public schools, among other things, but that is their main mission right now. Um, so I work with that organization, and it is the organization that puts the most pressure on Mayor de Blasio to, you know, actually do something about the fact that New York City public schools are segregated because New York City districts are incredibly gerrymandered. This is his attempt at equity. It is a terrible attempt. It does absolutely nothing. But here's the logic. Parents are like, you know, they're starting to notice that these low-income communities full of um, students of color, those the schools in those areas, are being scanned every single day. So he figures, you know, well, maybe... You know, I'll just throw a couple of wealthy white schools into the mix every once in a while, and then people will leave me alone about it. That's pointless, because my school and schools like mine are still only being scanned every once in a while. If you are going to at least make an attempt to make things more equal... Then every school needs to be getting scanned all the time. You don't just get to pick at random a couple of white schools out of a hat and say, oh, you know, I guess today they can get scanned. No, it's either everybody every day or you don't do it. You don't get to treat black and brown people like criminals and then question why they end up in this system, question why they're never, you know, on AP academic tracks. Not that that's really a measure of success, but for some reason people like to think that. You know, why aren't they quote-unquote successful in the same ways that their white and Asian counterparts are? Well, this is why. If you treat black and Hispanic students like shit, their lives are more likely to turn out like shit. That's not an opinion. That is a fact that is supported by data. I'm not making anything up here. I'm not presenting any new kind of idea. This isn't a new thing. This has been going on for an extremely long time. It's not like New York City decided yesterday, you know what, let's pick the richest, wealthiest, whitest zip codes in Manhattan and put them in a district regardless of their, you know, geographic relevance to one another, and so we had that little debate sort of thing in one of my classes today, and it just, it frustrates me, you know, even though I am a black student, even though I am low income, um, among other, you know, marginalized things. I do have privilege going to a majority white school because of the fact that this is the first time that this has ever happened to me. And it won't happen to me again for a while. And so, you know, if you're in that position, you have to use your privilege to help others. And, you know, students with even more privilege than me are clueless. Like, they literally just... They have no they have no idea what's going on even though I'm like the resident black person who like explains everything you know clearly they're not listening to me because if they were then they would have gotten it by now I'm a senior I've been in this high school since freshman year you know you should know by now what the deal is but it's just it's incredibly frustrating and and difficult when people don't understand you know hey this makes me feel like a criminal i don't like having a bunch of police officers in my school telling me what to do making me walk through metal detectors like i did something wrong when you know we see um cell phone recorded videos of police officers killing innocent black men just appearing to be dangerous which makes no fucking sense you know so excuse me for 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 not being okay with this for reasons other than I don't want them to find my jewel because I'm a nicotine addict you know or I don't feel like taking my airpods out and putting them in my bag and letting them go through the scanner I'm trying to listen to my music in the morning Nobody fucking cares, okay? There are people who will die because of this system. There are people who will spend the rest of their lives in jail, starting from a young age, because of this system. So it doesn't matter to me that you don't want your jewel to get confiscated, that you don't feel, you just don't feel like it. You don't feel like taking a longer time. You're worried about being late to class. That means nothing in the grand scheme of things. If you're worried about this because you don't want to be late to class because you can't vape at school as often, then you're not listening, you're not paying attention, and you are part of the problem. I don't care that you're just a high schooler. That's not an excuse. There are plenty of people our age that you go to school with, that you have conversations with regularly who know what's up. So if you're talking to them then clearly you're hearing what they're saying. Well maybe you're not fully hearing it cuz you're not you're not really internalizing it. But you get the point. So I'm just very upset. It was a horrible morning and people don't really understand why it was so horrible. Like they agree that, you know, they don't like it, but they're disliking it <laughs> for the complete wrong reasons. So that is my metal detector spiel. And yeah. All right, so let's talk about the September 20th Global Youth Climate Strike, well, the New York City chapter of it at least. Overall, it was an amazing, amazing day. I think what I'm going to do quickly is read the caption that I wrote for an Instagram post basically commemorating the strike because I think that that does a good job of kind of explaining, you know, why I feel grateful and everything that I loved about the strike, um, you know, while still staying concise. So, I said... I would like to share with you a few gratitudes. I'll start with the most important. Thank you to the indigenous tribes who led us in song and prayer. I see you and I will continue to use my own experiences with oppression to uplift you in this fight to reclaim land that you've been advocating for since the very beginning. I'd also like to thank my Fridays for Future NYC family for pleasantly surprising me with so much intersectionality during the Battery Park speeches and performances. I love you endlessly. However, you are not off the hook and I fully expect the same inclusion effort for upcoming strikes. Thank you to Willow and Jaden Smith for forcing people to look young Black prosperity in the face. You inspire me every day. Lastly, thank you to every single person who came out to strike with us physically or in spirit. Show up this strong and beautifully when Greta, Jaden, and Willow aren't there. Because of today, I genuinely believe we're going to save the world. So that's what I wrote for my Instagram post about the strike, and everything that I said there was true. Um, I basically wrote down all of my gratitudes because I wanted to sort of counter some of the negativity that I had to deal with um, towards the beginning of the strike, and for the most part, that's what I'm going to be talking about for the rest of this section of the podcast today. So... The the thing that's um, really on my mind is that basically, um, if if you follow me on Instagram, then you know that I created a Fridays for Future um, strike update account, sort of for my school, and uh, it it didn't go so well because even though I made sure that people stayed informed and updated no one really listened to me, and, you know, I basically went through a couple days of, like, complete disregard and disrespect, um, from a lot of white people in my life regarding the strike, um, so, like, this, this was kind of just, like, the icing on the cake, and it really pissed me off, I was incredibly upset, and I just felt ignored, and, you know, it made me, at one point, I considered going home, I figured, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not here to, to feel worse, you know, I came here in solidarity with, you know, my, my siblings of color, my, my fellow, you know, low-income people, just my fellow marginalized people who are ignored by the movement, I didn't come here to get further ignored, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, I I worked really hard to organize my school and to organize the strike. And, you know, I to me it, it just I would have felt incomplete, you know, had I chosen to gone home to have gone home. Um so something else that I wanted to address is just the climate movement as a whole and the fact that it is incredibly racist and classist and a lot of people aren't willing to go past saying yes this is true they aren't willing to acknowledge their own racism and classism and privilege I think that it's It's really difficult for people to recognize their privilege especially when they are privileged in more ways than one and while i do understand that difficulty that doesn't make it okay that doesn't you know give you an excuse to continue being so blissfully ignorant um and so i just i have a lot of frustrations with the movement because of this And, you know, obviously, I fully support um, Greta. I think that she's amazing, and I think that she's a great example of someone to follow if you're trying to figure out, okay, how can I be a better activist? But we also do have to recognize that the face of the climate movement is a white girl who has the resources and the support, to take a two-week trip from, you know, all, all the way across the Atlantic Ocean from Sweden to America on an emission, emissions-free boat. Um, so, you know, I'm not saying that she shouldn't be the face of the climate movement, but I'm saying that you can't have her as the face of the climate movement and have the majority of prominent figures in the climate movement be, you know, of the same race as her, you know, and and say that there are no problems regarding representation within the movement. Like when all of the most prominent figures in the movement are white and or wealthy, then clearly the movement isn't representing everybody else. Like that's there that's not up for debate. And I I find I often find myself having to explain that as if I'm stating an opinion rather than a fact. The I, I'm kind of at a loss for words because I do try to explain this to my peers at school so often, and so I I, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but I know that the general audience of this podcast doesn't sit in class with me while I'm saying this exact thing like there are plenty of people who might hear this and like have never heard of me before and they'll be like okay cool I don't know what this girl is talking about this is new information so I'm trying to like remind myself that hey you're not actually being repetitive um I just you know as a member of um, Fridays for Future NYC, that is a um, majority white organization, I, I often have to bring up this, you know, this slogan of mine that I have, which is, there is no climate justice without social justice. And it's obviously, it's not like, I didn't like copyright that slogan, I'm sure other people have said it. but. It's, it's my go-to thing. When people ask me why I strike, I tell them that I'm striking for the integration of social and climate justice. You can't, you can't have climate justice without social justice, and that's just the truth. Um, so I often will bring that up at meetings. And, you know, it's not like anyone's like, hey, that's not true. Everyone agrees with me. But uh, oftentimes, we don't really get past that. I think that um, today's strike was a good example of intersectionality, but it's not enough. And I just, I worry that, you know, events like this, you know, with events like this, people are like, okay, we've put all of the marginalized people in one event. We've exhausted our... (laughs) Our, our full quantity of marginalized people, what do we do now? I worry that about that sort of burnout because it happens so often where, you know, a movement takes off and people are like, hey, this movement isn't representative enough. This movement isn't fighting for the people who are most vulnerable. And then there's a great response and people are like, yeah, you're right. We aren't doing that properly. And they'll round up a bunch of people who represent the most harmed in society and then after that we you know we go back to normal we go back to the status quo. And I I worry about that a lot. I really do. Um and I'm also sorry for the incessant beeping. It's I'm recording this on a Friday night so you know people people are extra rowdy. Um so in, in In a similar vein, I briefly wanted to address a conversation that happened in one of my classes recently where we were asked to share our the one issue, the one political issue that is more important to us than any other political issue. I found this to be very easy for me. I chose racial equity because I find that. On a person to person level, race transcends all other aspects of our identity, like as individuals um, so yes, i 'm a woman, but being a black woman makes my experience different that 's an example. Um, so I said that um, and I also think that it it kind of it, it race bleeds into other big political and social issues. Um, for example, climate change. So then in response to me saying that I think racial equity is the most important political issue to other people, basically said, no offense, but I think climate change is more important because climate change affects everyone and we can't fix the other lesser issues if we're all dead. Well, in response to that, Number one, racism and racial inequity actually does affect everyone. It's just that it doesn't affect everyone negatively. Just because something doesn't affect white people negatively doesn't mean that it's not affecting white people at all. They're just benefiting from it. And number two, to say that people aren't dead because of racism, classism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, etc., Already, you know, before climate change was at the forefront of everyone's mind, is so ignorant and untrue. You know, people have been dying of police brutality and slavery and racism in all other forms, overt and subtle, since before industrialization, since before Trump withdrew us from the Paris Climate Agreement. This This isn't a new thing. This type of oppression precedes climate change. And third of all, yes, I'm taking this from Game of Thrones, but it is so true. Whenever you say something, and then you say but, it pretty much always negates whatever you said before you said but. So when you say not to be offensive, or no offense, or not to be rude, or not to be racist, but it's quite obvious that whatever you're going to say after it is going to be shitty so just don't even bother that really gets on my nerves because like it, it doesn't help me it doesn't help me it doesn't make me feel any less hurt or offended by you so this segment it's not getting super long but it is getting a little long and i don't want to bore people and be super 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 negative Um, I'm just going to close this out by saying thank you to everyone who came to strike with us physically or in spirit, as I said before. Um, It means a lot that you support this movement. I'm so glad that we had over 250,000 people striking. It's it's incredible. And I do think that if we keep up with this people power, we're going to make some major changes. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Bluish. I hope that you enjoyed it. I hope that you learned something from it, and I hope that this kind of pushes you to assess your own privilege and assess the ways in which you can help people who are vulnerable. You know, in the in ways that you're not already helping them, and if that hasn't, if you haven't been moved to do that, maybe listen to this again. I just, I want to make a difference and I want you to feel like you have the power to make a difference so again thank you so much for listening and I will be back with a new episode next weekend